Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Saturday Everywhere Else podcast. We are about a week, a week removed from the national championship game, which saw, I would say, a minor, minor upset. I mean, Alabama, I think, was pretty, pretty steadily favored. Um, and you know, it's funny. We're, you know, when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about in the post, you know, the postseason podcast. Uh, I kind of figured we'd touch base because we did a little preview beforehand and I figured we'd touch base on the national title game and then move on to other things. And then we were treated to probably the second greatest national title game of the BCS era. And, yeah. I mean... So we, as usual, we've got Jordan on the other line calling in from Chicago, which is, I always forget, is an hour earlier, so it's not nearly as late for him as it is for me. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I enjoy that very much. Um, but, I mean, we've got we've to gotta talk about that game. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we got to spend a, a little, probably a little bit more time than I was anticipating talking about that game. Definitely. Um, so, I mean... And here's, I think there's almost two things that uh, that you can look at. One, it was definitely a deserved Clemson win. Uh, this is not a this was not a fluke game where they converted a couple trick plays and scored a couple of weak touchdowns and and snuck uh, stole one away. They ran right. 98 plays of offense. Yep, that is that's incredible, and that's. I mean, you could tell by the end of the game, Alabama's defense, it doesn't matter how good you are. If the other team runs 98 player, ninety-eight plays, you're going to be tired at the end of the game. Yep. And you could definitely see that. So it was that. It was it was Clemson's offense, even, you know, the team in general, but their offense in particular. They struggled a little bit at the beginning of the game, but they just kept grinding away. It's almost like they knew, and maybe because a similar thing happened last year in the championship game, they kind of knew that if they just kept plugging away, that they were going to have an opportunity to break through if they could, you know, keep uh, keep Alabama's offense off the field. Um, so there was that, and then the other thing that I that really struck me was the entire the entire season. It's we were waiting for. Uh, Jalen Hurts to start playing like a freshman, right? Yep. This guy's a true freshman. And the entire season, he just kept – he was never – never was required to do a lot, but he all, he never seemed like the moment was ever too big for him. And, I mean, when you're at no, Alabama – He added a dimension to that um, – he added a dimension to their offense – that a lot of Bama opponents have never really had to deal with when playing Bama before. Right. Usually you have your hands tied, but you can maybe get to the quarterback a time or two, you know, or, or yep. force some bad throws because they're not very mobile. Um, Jacob Coker was actually more mobile than people gave him credit for, but, uh, you know, it's not like he was a dual threat guy. Jalen Hurts, if Jalen Hurts wanted to, he could go to a threat option offense and be a dual threat quarterback. He's that athletic. He's that elusive. And uh, on top of it all, you mentioned no moment was too big for him. For being a freshman, is Alabama 
in a nutshell. Hold on, hold on. You're breaking up a little bit. Say that again. Uh, Jalen Hurts is basically Alabama in a nutshell. Yeah. He is this calm, cool cat that, um, you know, he uh, he goes out there and uh, has this kind of quiet swagger to him where, uh, you know, he takes five steps and all of a sudden he just ran into the end zone from 20 yards out. And he made it look easy. Right. And in the end zone, and he just flips the ball to the ref and turns around and goes back to the sideline. Like, that is kind of Alabama in a nutshell. Yep. And for him to be what he was to Alabama all year um, blew my mind. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I so, about him. but we were kind of, I mean, I, I know we talked about this. We were kind of struck by that because we kept waiting for the freshman in him to show up. And. By about week nine or ten, we just started. I at least I started to think maybe he at this point he's a seasoned veteran. You know, maybe it's just never going to happen. And then last Monday night, it was almost. And I don't know. Maybe it was. And we can talk about this too. But maybe it was the difference between Lane Kiffin calling plays and Steve Sarkeesian. But it felt like Alabama didn't want that game to be the one that Jalen Hurts started playing like a freshman. So they started treating him like one. Yeah. You know, it's just that offense seemed so watered down and so conservative and so afraid to do any. I mean, in the second half, they scored on one play where Clemson forgot OJ Howard played football again. And they they got beat by a Bo Scarborough. You know, they got two Bo Scarborough runs in the first half and the OJ Howard broken play. And that, and other than that one drive at the end of the game, that was all Alabama did all game. Yeah, well, and Clemson's defense, too, is athletic enough to contain Hurts to the point where, you know, I know he broke off that big one that, you know, tied it up mm-hmm. or, uh, or put Alabama in the lead, actually. Yeah. He put Alabama up. But for the most part, I mean, Clemson didn't let Hurts get too loose in that game either. Yeah. Uh, and, you know... I think he might have had just a little bit less time to get rid of the ball, you know, and, and I agree though, the play calling was extremely conservative. And then, you know, one thing, and, and you don't want to, cause this isn't the ultimate deciding factor in the game, but I do think it played a role that Bo Scarborough went out with an injury. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, if you're running that somewhat conservative offense, but you have him in there, I mean, he could break one. You know, he, he could break one while you're running that conservative offense. Right, because he did in the first half, twice. That's what he did in the first half of that game. So, uh, you know, you could run a conservative offense and you have a guy that could take to the house at any given moment um, while running, like, a conservative play. Once he was out, I'm not saying Alabama's replacements at running back weren't up to par. They're good players, but it had been the Bo Scarborough show on that offense since the Washington game. You yeah. know, for six quarters of football, Alabama's offense was the most Scarborough throw. Yep. I mean, and that was he, like... He had had a fairly underwhelming season and career up to that game because yeah. he was supposed to be the next monster at running back for Alabama. It's the pictures of him. He looked like he was a 35-year-old man in, in you know, his junior year of high school. Did you see uh, the Did you see the thing that Kirk Cousins tweeted? 
absolutely hilarious. And that, that's just a great example of, you know, how you got to laugh at yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, that was really entertaining. That was a funny one, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, uh, and I'm not saying he's a bad player or anything, but I would say most Bama fans expect more out of him during his career. He was pretty high up. You know, I remember last year when they won it and during the title game, everyone's like, oh, and they don't even know about Bo yet. Right. And it was like, well, you know, where is he? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, that Washington game, they needed someone to take that game over and he did. So. Yep. And so but, – uh, and so, I mean, real quick before we get before we get to the heroics of Deshaun Watson and uh, Mike Williams, I just want to get your your thoughts on. <laughs> I mean, the unprecedented situation where an offensive coordinator leaves right before a title game. You know, this is. I mean, this feels like something that could only happen with Lane Kiffin. By the way, like. Oh yeah, definitely, uh, and because. Um, I understand Nick Saban maybe wanting to get rid of what appeared. We don't know what happened behind closed doors. It appeared or was presumed to be turning into a toxic situation with Lane there while he'd already taken the other job. Right. Like it, it clearly, if it hadn't been Saban would have written it out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it had to have been bad if he couldn't survive one more week, you know, I mean, Kiffin took the job at FAU a month ago. Right. Maybe maybe it was also Nick Saban being a little too overconfident in his machine. Could be. I mean, I, I honestly, and you can't blame him because they came within a, a second away from yeah, that's true. winning the title. Um, so you can't really blame him. But I, I honestly think that he thought they were going to win that game no matter who the hell was calling plays. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, not only was... He has a guy that was the head coach of USC and was not fired for football reasons. Right. That he could call in off the bench to call plays for a title game. So it's not like he had an unproven um, offensive mind coming in to call plays for him. You know, Sark had issues off the field. He needed to get worked out. But it's not like he was calling in a, a guy that was going to be too scared to call a play because he'd never done it before or anything like that. Like, yeah, I think that played a role in it, too. I think he was a little too confident in his machine, you know, his big shiny toy. And uh, I think he was also, you know, right in thinking, hey, you know what? It's not like I'm handing the keys to an idiot here. Right. Doing, as long as he got his, you know shit together off the field uh you know i think he's fine um so yeah i don't know i mean you know you can't really fall nick saban too much here they lost the national title game by a second but you you do have to wonder was it something that they maybe should have nipped in the bud before the washington game even yeah i mean that's the thing like if this is something that needed to happen it should have happened like you said a week before the, you know, during the Washington week, you know, because they probably could have beat Washington with with anybody calling plays. And then that would have given them a week of learning Steve Sarkeesian's tendencies. And I don't care how long you've been around as a coach. It's just going to be different when you're calling plays, you know. 
Yep. You know, Jalen Hurts is he spent an entire season getting used to Lane Kiffin calling his plays, and now all of a sudden you got someone else doing it. It's just I have to yep. imagine that's got to be a little. It's just something. Let's put it this way: Nick Saban may have been, you know, been too uh, too hyped up in his own machine. But the one thing that we know about Alabama and Nick Saban is that he loves routine. He loves to control everything. And the fact that he threw a gigantic monkey wrench into it a week before the biggest game of the season speaks volumes to either his own arrogance or to just how bad the situation was that he viewed that as the best alternative, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was... uh... It was something that ultimately appears to kind of, you know, gotten them a little bit. You know, again, they were very close to winning it. But, you know, here here's the thing is when you have two teams and, and maybe and, and I don't think Saban would have, you know, necessarily publicly, you know, you definitely publicly wouldn't have sold Clemson short. I mean, maybe Nick Saban didn't know how close uh his team was to Clemson, you know, how, how close Clemson was to his team. Yeah. Uh, because, because when you have, when you have a team that's that close to you, you need something like, like, okay, Hey, uh, Lane Kiffin is going to call this crazy play. That'll leave, uh, Calvin Ridley wide open streaking down the sideline. Like when he used to pump his fist in the air after Amari, yeah, I mean, maybe you know, maybe that's what was missing. Also, what was missing in this game, the the main thing that separated Clemson and Alabama last year, and this was beat like a dead horse heading into the game, all off season, all season long, greatest play call in the history of college football was that onside kick. Yeah, and that that was really what separated Clemson from a national title last year. Right. And, you know, you know, obviously Bama went on, won the game, but that was the clear turning point in the game. And now, you know, what, what did Bama do this year like that? They, they really didn't do anything. And, you know, they, they were up, up early, you know, it's not like they were clawing back and, you know, it it was almost like they didn't know what to do with the lead they had, which is weird for Alabama. Right, because they led most of the season. Right. You should know how to protect a lead. Um, and you know what? I, I hate to go you know, one step further here, but maybe it speaks to a little bit of the level of competition Alabama played this year. Because maybe they weren't used to having to protect a lead against a team uh, anywhere. Because they kind of locked up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they definitely didn't play a team with a quarterback the caliber of Deshaun Watson that was able to lead his team back from a... And they were protecting leads all season against four, five, six, seven lost teams. Yeah. You know? Well, and they were against teams whose offenses weren't any good. Because it's easy to protect the lead when you've got Alabama's defense, but the off- or your their offense, I, I guess I should say other teams' defenses, you know, because their offense was able to run chunks of time off the clock you know Clemson's defense was probably as good if not better than any team that they played so 
Right, and, and you know what? They're like, there wasn't another opponent like Clemson all year. You know, there wasn't one in the Big Ten. There wasn't one in the Pac-12. Um, you know, there wasn't one in the Big 12, certainly. Um, you know, yeah. maybe Oklahoma the way they were playing at the end of the year. But um, as far as teams that Bama could have played, you know, during the regular season, I think, if anything, this may have just proven that, you know, they they hadn't played a team that they had to really, really protect the lead that hard against all right. You know, I mean, and it, you know, like, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to like take a stab at the SEC, but that's, it's, it's almost just logically what sort of makes sense here is that how does Bama not know how to protect the lead? They've been doing it all year. Well, you know what? This is not, you know, you're not playing, uh, you know, a five loss team here. You're playing Clemson. Um, you know, you're not, you're not playing Washington who had a great year and they're a great team, but just clearly didn't have the horses to quite keep up with Bama throughout the entire four quarters. Yeah. But they finally met a team and, you know, I mean, I guess LSU is the only team that really kind of stuck with Bama for a long time, but they still what? They didn't even score any points on them. Yeah. So there, there was never really a true, you know, threat in that game where you think back and you're like, oh yeah, Bama had to really hold off LSU. It was like, yeah, they had to score against LSU. They didn't have to really worry about LSU scoring. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it was. Uh, it, I mean, props to you know what they've built over there, at Clemson, because that that was something special. And and Bama is an absolutely excellent team. And uh, just to see what they, you know, what Clemson was able to do was was pretty impressive. Yeah, and I mean. You know, it's it's probably a little unfair to try to compare other teams that Alabama played to Clemson because Clemson is empirically right, the best team in the country this year. Right. So, but, you, you know, know, a couple of years ago when, you know, everyone's saying, oh, like, you know, Bama should just play, you know, have a rematch every year against whoever they played in the SEC title game or, yeah. you know, let's, let's have Bama play LSU again. Like, those teams were really, really good and, you know, probably were the second-best teams in the country and stuff like that. Um, you know, so, but, like, there wasn't that team this year. There wasn't that regular season opponent that Bama had that gave them such a good run for their money that everyone was like, oh, man, like, you know, that team, you know, was so close to beating Bama or that team was one play away. There wasn't that team all year, really, that Bama played. Right. Know what I mean? Every year, but you know, almost every year, there seems to be that one team where you're just like, "Oh man," you know. I mean, I guess, I guess you could go Ole Miss this year since that was really the only game that Bama had to like really, really, really storm back from, um, and they flipped that game on a dime in one of the more incredible ways I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, you know. But uh, I guess like you think about you know, maybe Ole Miss, but Ole Miss didn't even go to a bowl game, you know. And they've got so, some sort of magic voodoo with Alabama that right. you know got- is is hard to explain and and quantify uh so I mean I don't even know if you can consider them because they like I said they've they've got some sort of magic recipe that they just give Alabama fits and that happens it seems like every great team is defined by an average team that just finds a way to give them trouble you know yep. it happens yep. in every sport yep. at every single level uh, right, or 
even like an above average team or even like a good team like like Manziel's team at A and M, you know, that went I think I think they finished eleven and two that year. Yeah, but, but that I mean, because um, Ole Miss just because they've done it for a more consistent. Oh you know, yeah, it hasn't just like Texas A and M did that to Alabama when Johnny Manziel was there. So it's only two right. seasons, you know. Ole Miss has done that pretty much since Hugh Freeze took over. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, yeah, like a you know, a couple of years into the Hugh Freeze reign, Ole Miss was hanging with Bama, and and Bo Wallace beat Bama. You know, never forget that. Yeah, you know, Bo Wallace had a nice career at Ole Miss, but he was highly criticized, you know, as well at times, and he, you know, he beat Bama. Um, so you know, it's just kind of. <laughs> You know, you, you're right there. They definitely have something on uh, Saban. Yeah. So let's let's switch over to the other side of that of the the field for the national title game and talk a little bit about. I mean, just the incredible individual efforts from Deshaun Watson and, and Mike Williams, especially those last two touchdown drives. I mean, it's every once in a while, it's like you watch. I think you watch someone play. It doesn't just have to be a sport, but, you know, you watch someone play football and you can tell that you're watching someone with a higher skill level than average than what you're used to. Yep. And they make it look so easy. You're just it makes you wonder, why doesn't everybody else do this? Right. And I just I felt that I felt that. Like I said, those last two drives watching Mike Williams, because he seemed like every single play. You know, Deshaun Watson would just kind of – it looked like he was just throwing a jump ball, but I think he was just really good at placing the ball where where he could go get it. But he would position his – and I don't know why I'm doing this because you can't see me. But he would position his body uh, with his back. He would get the defender to his back and then leap in the air and reach with his hands and grab the ball, which sounds like the simplest thing in the world for a wide receiver. That sounds like the basics of the job except for the fact that guys don't do that all the time. You know, yeah, they try well, to basket that, uh, catch. That, or... Like when they, that Browns Factory of Sadness video, when you, when yeah. that you show me, you know, multiple times where it's where he says it's like these good teams are playing a different sport than we are. Yep. You know, you watch, I mean, Clemson and Alabama, really, you watch those two teams play. That's a different, to last two years, there's no doubt in my mind the last two years that those two teams have have met uh you know rightfully so as as you know for the national championship yeah um but uh but yeah you're right i mean mike williams was i mean that was a special kind of performance especially considering i mean at one point i thought he might have been knocked out of the game when he got his belt but there yeah so yeah, and, and I will, and I know it was brought up a couple times, but he didn't play in last year's game. Um, well, right, he didn't. He didn't play all year. He, he broke a bone in his neck. Right. Um, so, I've, and again, you know, last year's game was very close, also, and the implication was that, you know, he is he's uh, not a deciding factor, but definitely a huge, a huge factor in both those games. You know. His absence yep. in one and his presence in the other, um, and I mean, I don't, I just don't want to single him. You know, obviously the entire Clemson team played incredibly. Their defense tightened up uh, after giving up some early scores. Uh, Wayne Gallman had a great game, especially in pass protection. Um, 
he there are a couple of plays where he picked up a free rushing Alabama linebacker, which is never something I'd want to do. Uh, and uh, you know, to give Watson that half a second that he needed to get the ball uh, get the ball away. Um, uh, real quick, I'm not trying to cut you off. Good. Just hold that thought. You just you just kind of mentioned it though. So um, <laughs> we've got. You just talk about how you wouldn't want to pick up a flip from. Yeah, hold on. Say that again. You talk about how you wouldn't want to pick up a blitz from an Alabama linebacker. Yeah. Um, another reason why I think Clemson and Alabama are two of the best teams is you watch their players hit people. And I sit on my couch. Alabama specifically every single year. I sit on my couch and I think that exact thought while I'm watching football. You're almost sore from watching them hit the other team the entire time. Yeah. I mean, I I honestly, I've said that. I, I've probably said that countless times that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I would, I don't think you would pay me enough money to get hit by an Alabama line. Nope. You know, or, or, you know, heaven forbid, you know, even one of their safeties that I outweigh by 25 pounds. Yeah. Corners. I would not want that, any of those robot humans to uh, light me up because it would hurt severely. And, um, yeah, that I, you said that, and I, I that's a fun little thing we never really quite, you know, talked about. But uh, there's not even a specific player I could think of. I just would not want to be hit by a single player that has gone uh, on the field and played defense for Alabama. Oh yeah. Me neither. I mean, that's, you know, and so that now back to what you were saying for Gallman to have the stones to hang in there and do that kind of stuff, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that goes on unnoticed a little bit too, sometimes, um, especially in a sexier offense like that, you know, Wayne Gallman was another guy people were expecting to have, you know, sort of like a bigger statistical year, uh, you know, maybe turn himself into a Heisman candidate at one point too. Yeah. And never quite got around to that as Clemson's offense, you know, had a little bit of, of a struggle period during the season. And, uh, you know, like, cause I, I kind of even remember watching like them play NC state and kind of thinking like, how is this not guy not gone? Like, you know, like really like they can't even just like pound, pound it with Gallman and like break away from these guys, you know? Yeah. You know, like, you know, okay, I get it. You might be able to contain the quarterback, but they got a really good running back too, you know. Um, but uh, you know, to hang in there and, and that's the kind of stuff that goes unnoticed sometimes throughout the year, not not by the coaching staff or anything like that. I'm saying by fans, by you know, even some media that might, you know, oh, you know, with you know, thought so and so was gonna have a better year. Uh, you know, by you know, us even on the couch sometimes. I mean, that's a great observation that you picked up. Dick Allman was doing that because you know, a couple of those plays. <laughs> you know, you never know. And I'll tell you what, Bama did get away with targeting all these. And got intentionally, <laughs> or what seems to look intentionally, at Sean Watson's head. Yeah. I'm not saying that they were, were going to try and knock him out of the game. They were hitting. They, they, 
Campbell was not afraid to hit high in that game. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, definitely not. Um, what could have happened had Gallman not been able to pick up a few of those blocks? Yeah. It would have, yeah, that would have, I mean, it would have had just as big of an impact as uh, losing Bo Scarborough had for Alabama. Um, because, I mean, you could, I mean, if you, I would argue that Bo Scarborough was just as important to Alabama's offense as Deshaun Watson was to Clemson's, um, in that well, they it pretty much didn't run playoff, without them. So, particularly in the playoff. Yes. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's. I would Bama, say that... Bama didn't bust away from Washington entirely until Bo just was like, ah, oh, this is my, my game. Yep. This will be the post-Garborough game. Yeah, and I mean... Ryan Anderson picked six right before half that you kind of felt the game was over. <laughs> but yeah. it wasn't over until Bo decided. Yeah. You know, officially. I, I, I do want to call out to our audience, too, that I think you have a you quietly have a favorite college football player that you've never confessed because you're, you're rocking the Ben Bowler on your face right now. I don't like Ben. Nah. I yeah, I mean, I'm telling you if, if our audience could see your face right now. Yeah. Uh, maybe a couple more trips to the weight room and you'd be <laughs> right there with him in, in size. But, uh, just as long as I don't have to go into the locker room with him afterwards, because uh, <laughs> I don't want to experience what he considers yeah. team uh, bonding. So, oh, uh, oh, you went there. Yeah, well, he brought it on <laughs> himself. Yeah, it was one of the weirder uh, parts leading up to the game. In fact, I mean, I didn't really have a rooting interest. I really just wanted a good game. But, like, after I heard that little rant of his, it was kind of like... Uh, and then, you know, Chris Fowler brought it up on the broadcast of the game, and it was, you know, you you have to, if you're him, you have to mention it because it was yep. talked about. You're tone deaf if you don't mention that, yep. if there's an opportunity. But it was extremely uncomfortable. Uh, you could tell he was probably uncomfortable himself bringing it up. But you, you, you can't just ignore that that happened because that was a story throughout the week as stories emerge throughout the week. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, a... I just wanted to let the audience know that you had a little bit of a Ben Bulwer, uh Yeah, I do. I, going. I do have a bit of a beard going going right now. Uh, I will say we'll call it the Ben Bulwer until we can think of someone better. Uh, I will I'm say that uh... you should see how uncomfortable we're FaceTiming. By the way, <laughs> to our audience right now, you should see the uncomfortable look on Eric's face as I continue to call his beard the Ben Bulwer. Yeah, I think I think the next picture I see of Eric, he'll have a clean shaven face. Could be shaved. Uh, I will say that uh, Reese, that uh, Chris Fowler handled that much better than uh, Brent Musburger handled the Joe Mixon situation. Oh yeah, I've, was, I've never seen it. The... I've never seen a situation where an announcer had to had to address his own comments during the game that he made the comments on, which I guess is a product of the social media era, you know, because he made his comments about Joe Mixon. Early, very early in the game, uh, you know. For those of you who don't know, he, you know, Joe Mixon. Uh, I don't know if he was ever. I don't know if he was convicted of it, but he he beat up his girlfriend. There was a video of it that came out recently. Wasn't even a girlfriend. It was just a girl. Oh, okay, female uh, that he knew or didn't know. But any, um, the video was the new part of the story. Uh, it came out very recently. It led a lot of people to question why Bob Stoops 
kept him on the team for all these years. And Brent Musburger kind of went very easy on him, I guess is how you could say it. And the instant Twitter backlash was so strong that in the second half, Brent Musburger felt the need to address it again and double down on his comments. Sort of scold the uh, Twitter verse. And uh, it was just another... Honestly, I figured Brent Musburger's lasting impact in the social media world would be the Catherine Webb comments, but, uh, you know. Which, you know, she herself defended. You know, she... The only it was kind of that one got kind of interesting because she came out and defended Brent Musburger. Well, because she benefited from those justice. I mean, she did. But I, but I'm saying with that one, with that one, that was uncomfortable as well. Um, but you know, there's only so much. Pain, I guess I really want to see this. But I grew up idolizing Brent Musburger. Uh, it really bothers me that he. You know, I, I think Chris Fowler does a great job, but it really bothers me that sometimes Brent Musburger calling a game that maybe, it, you know, one that I care to watch. Yeah. All the game that you had to watch. Um, you know, it, I, I really enjoy him in these. You know, I, that's why I love bowl season is because he'll get a couple of cool matchups. Musburger will call a couple of great, you know, great matchups during bowl season. Um and uh, anyways, I you know I bad look for him. Uh, it I don't agree at all with what he said, and uh, it was just kind of it's, it was kind of unfortunate um, that it went that way because, like I said, you know this was a guy I kind of grew up idolizing. His I love college football more than any sport, or, or really a lot of things, you know, in general. Happy mm-hmm. um, college football's up there. And, uh, you know, he's kind of been synonymous with it my entire life. So it's it's a little bit of a bummer to hear uh, someone you sort of admire kind of make some uncomfortable comments like that. That, you know, you're, it, it's kind of just it didn't seem like a battle that needed to be picked. Right. But, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, it it uh, it's unfortunate that I, that's what I thought about that. And here's, you know. The real the, the real thing here is that if uh you know if Joe Mixon doesn't punch a woman in the face, he doesn't have to address it in the first place. You know, I yeah. mean, I mean, I'm not trying to really, you know, dig all the way back here, but that's the main thing to remember here is if you don't do that, it doesn't have to be addressed in the first place. Yep. So, yep. oh, and I mean, uh. And- but if had Bob Stoops kicked him off the team like he probably should have, uh, you know, also. Yep, you're completely right. So uh, there are a couple. It, it, I think it's a, it's a shame that it got to the point where Joe Mixon was playing in the spotlight he was that the announcer of the game even had to address it. Right. He, playing in a game that, you know, I'm not so sure he maybe should have been playing in. Um, but at the uh and and there was some disturbing and I know there was some he said she said with with uh, what went on inside the stadium that night um you know not not what a guy said and what a girl said but you know the the saying is he yes. said right um, 
about you know some of him egging on some of the taunts directed as well. He doesn't seem like someone who's necessarily handled the whole situation with, uh, you know, or even at times. There's been interviews where he sort of smug about not addressing it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's just a shame altogether that, that the incident happened. Um, you know, and I mean, you don't don't do that in the first place, and and I know it's that's a lot easier said than done. But I mean, that's the the thing here, don't do it in the first place, or or punish a player as you know they should probably be punished. Um, yeah, all right. It, I mean, that's I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's something we had to talk about just because it's you know it was a pretty big story. But I'd rather talk about actual football that happened. And uh, I. Uh, so yeah. let's 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 pivot over to what would have probably been the best game of the bowl season uh if the national title game hadn't been played. Uh that was the Rose Bowl. Uh USC and Penn State two of probably the I don't always like classifying teams as hot uh as this as the year goes on. Um but those were two teams that were definitely playing their best football at the end of the season. Um, USC yep. didn't win their title, didn't win their conference, but they beat their con- the conference champion uh, and were playing very well. Penn State, obviously, you know, they beat Ohio State. They came back and beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. Um, played, <laughs> it seemed like it was like a play in three acts. You know, the first act was, it looks like USC is about to blow the doors off of Penn State, and you know we're gonna have a, uh, re- you know it's gonna look like last year's game. Then all of a sudden the script is flipped. Penn State can't be stopped, and USC can't do anything. <laughs> and then we get, and then we get a classic ending. I mean, it was just. Yep. And uh, what was pretty interesting is that both of these coaches were almost completely written off of their current job, including Clay Helton, who is in his first year of coaching at USC as a full-time head coach uh, by, uh, you know, week four of the season. So that that's another funny thing. It's like, let's all just take a deep breath here. And, and like I said, I, I put Franklin on blast a little bit. That's also because I think there's definitely some situations he hasn't always handled that well. Uh going back to Vanderbilt. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I kind of thought, you know, Hey, is his job in jeopardy? He, he was definitely a hot seat guy, but you know, I, I've said to you multiple times this year, more power to him for proving me wrong. Yeah. You know, go out there and, and I, I, I am not someone and, and some people almost get so obsessed and amused by this hot seat thing. It's like you, you realize you sound like you're rooting for someone to lose their job that might, that, you know, like you're almost never rooting for something like that unless it is an off the field type of issue that someone should lose their job for. I'd love, I'd love it if, if, every, you know, if every coach were able to coach their way through a full rotation and not get fired too early and all that. Yeah. I do think it was funny that these, these coaches, including a first year full-time head coach, were on the hot seat, and their teams put on a show for the country. 
And also, this does not mean we need an eight-team playoff. What this means is that uh, there was a great Rose Bowl this year. <laughs> and we should just enjoy it for the great Rose Bowl that it was. Because guess what? If you have an eight-team Oh, you just dropped off. That should not have allowed them to get into the college football playoff and play for a national title. Hold on. I'm sure it's, that was – hold on. Hold on. I'm sure that was super poignant, but you dropped off, so you're going to have to say it again. So what I'm saying is I don't think – you know, I think we just need to appreciate the fact that there was a a great Rose Bowl. Yep. And that that's all it was, and we can love it for being a great Rose Bowl because it does not mean there needs to be an 18 playoff. The only the only expansion I've ever really considered being okay for the playoff would maybe be six teams, in which case these two probably would have been in, and it would have been a, a great game. And a six team playoff with the top two getting a bye, maybe maybe that's fine because a lot of one and two are fairly clear clear cut. Um, yeah, it's funny because I think with the six team playoff fighting for that two spot instead of kind of like, oh, all right, we're good. Uh, you know, you would want to fight for that second spot. You know what I mean? Like it would still, it would add a little bit more to the regular season. I think if the top two of the six playoff teams got a buy, yeah. if there were, yeah. what it, that was like the one thing where it was like, damn it. Like we just had a great Rose bowl and now everyone's just, Oh, well, okay. guess we don't need an 18 playoff. You know, I'll, sarcastically and it's like well no i i really don't think we do just because there was a great rose bowl doesn't mean it that means we need to expand the playoff it was a it was a great game uh props to james franklin on an unreal coaching job this year clay helton as well those quarterbacks put on a display i know mcsorley had a very costly mistake that you know led to the game-winning field goal but he put on a hell of a display, especially as the season went on. That kid, I mean, you talk about the shoes he had to fill, too, you know, at quarterback there. I know Christian Hackenberg didn't maybe put up some of the numbers that everyone thought he was going to at Penn State uh, as his career went on or, or had the team success, mm-hmm. but but he was so highly touted. McSorley as a freshman replacing this guy that was God's gift to earth. And McSorley has himself an unbelievable season, you know? So, so props to the two quarterbacks in that game. Um, you just had guys out there making plays. I mean, that was the best part is that it wasn't like, oh, man, this team's playing terribly on this side of the ball whatever. It was just you had guys out there making big play after big play, um, you know, and – I mean, that's kind of what I wish I would have gotten to see when I went to the Rose Bowl last year. Yeah, and I mean that, and that's honestly that's the the common thread between all these games. You know, the the national title game, the 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 Rose Bowl, the I don't know, remember which game it was, but the Mich- Michigan Florida State game was uh, an incredible game to watch too. Um, it didn't it didn't feel like quite as powerful because Michigan, you could tell just didn't have the horses on offense and Triple peppers was out. Um, so I think it was just, it was just missing a little bit. Uh, you never really felt like they were ever going to be able to really pull off, you know, that victory. Um, and honestly that game kind of felt like a big old, what if for Florida state, you know, like this is a great program, 
you know, what are they doing middling around these last couple seasons? Uh, um, but, I mean, that's, you know, that is the most, the biggest takeaway from all these is just when you can get great college football programs and players playing at a top, at a high level, it is enjoyable to watch. And the more games that we get like that, the better off, the luckier that we are as fans because we get to enjoy watching these guys at for the last time in their lives, you know, go out and lay it all on the line without any sort of, for nothing really more than pride, because um, they yep. don't really get very much for, you know, get much else for it, uh, other than the 1% of them that... <laughs> It's a job interview, basically. Um, but it was it was a great bowl season, I think, overall. Um, I'm trying to think to. I I can't remember where there there. I mean, obviously, there were a lot of other games that were that were a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'll say this, you know. It's it's a valid argument. I mean, when you're getting five and seven teams in bowl games, it's a little ridiculous. But yeah, when we all sit here and complain about there being too many bowl games and you know blah blah blah, well, guess what? When you're at work on a Wednesday and it's one in the afternoon and you're dragging, and there's college football kicking off. It doesn't suck. Yeah, love it. I was going to say, I mean, there's, what, 40-some-odd bowl games this year? do such a good job putting those games on um, and and timing them out throughout the day. You know, there's days you have a bowl game kicking off at, like, noon, and then there's one kicking off at, like, ni- the Holiday Bowl kickoff at, like, 9 o'clock that night. Yep. It's 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 good shit. I, I love bowl season. Um, I'm, if there's a way to keep the amount of bowls that they have, well, maybe, I mean, maybe there isn't, but you know, not, not letting that'd be preferable. Uh, you know, I would, I would really like that if there weren't teams with losing records allowed in bowl games. Yeah, I mean, but, just mathematically, that's pretty hard. Uh, right, right, right. No, I know that. So you know, maybe okay, maybe five less. Yeah, I'd be okay with. That. I think that's. I, but, I mean, know. people have been saying this for years. I think, though, we've literally reached a saturation point with bowl games where it's going to be financially impossible to play as many as they have. Right. You know? Yeah, well, and I mean, you look at some of these crowds, these kids playing, like the Bahamas Bowl. You know, they put on a great event for the kids and everything, but some of these pictures of these stadiums that they're playing in, it's, it's tough to see because there's not a lot of people there. Right. I mean, it's one thing to say, like, you know, those kids that get to go to the Bahamas Bowl, I mean, that's just a cool experience. You know, you get right. to go to the Bahamas, you hang out for a week. For the kids that go down there and play in the game, and, and I mean, that's a great place to go play, you know, but you're not packing the seats. And, and that's not the greatest example because maybe there's not a huge college football following down in the Bahamas. But, you know, some of these other bowls, too, you know, the the crowds, college football attendance, you know, has gone down in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, Playoffs seems to have sort of downplayed the impact of the or the some of these other bowl games. Yeah, I mean, and it's just it's um, hard. Part is, you know, who's gonna go to you know, unless like you know, I, I think the music 
Magic City Bowl is kind of a cool bowl that Big Ten's hard of because it's, hey, yeah, sure, let's go to Nashville for a couple days and watch our team play. Right. You know, that, that's kind of a cool place to go. Um, you know, there are bowls like that, but then there's some other bowls that aren't super desirable or, hey, you know, that's a three-hour drive. Do I, uh, I don't know, three hours, got to get a hotel, you know. Yeah, and I think the biggest issue is that, like, a lot of money. You know, you're, if your team just finished the season, you know, six and six or seven and five, odds are it was a pretty disappointing season. And if you're playing out a bowl game that's six hours away, you're not going to that. Right. You know, your team, that game is going to be played in front of a quarter capacity. You know, that's like, you know, the Mac has got a lot of bowl, uh, tie-ins with play they've got like two in alabama they've got the one in boise they've got the they've got the bahamas bowl tie-in i mean nothing against any of those places but even the most dedicated mac fan bases aren't going to be sending a lot of people to those locations especially if their team was six and six you know right right and so it's just it's just hard to it's easy for bowls to do well with big time programs. It's just not easy. It's just not as easy for, you know, when you're, when the fan bases you're drawing from are already small, you know? Um, I think they would do better trying to regionalize the bowls, you know, make it so that your conference is only playing in bowls that are within a certain area of your conference teams you know yeah like geographically kind of set it up right like kind of try to set up and i get that part of the bowl you know the appeal of the bowls is you get to see maybe parts well one they got to be played normally in in warm weather because they take place in december um yeah man i i i want one at wrigley i want (laughs) i I would love i'm not a cubs fan but i think Hold on, you're breaking up again. So, can you hear me now? Yep. Um, I mean, they need to figure it out so that the teams aren't going in the same direction, like Northwestern Illinois had to do. Right. Um, but I think it'd be awesome, mainly just because I, I, I see you can do one in Chicago. I think it'd be a pretty cool place to do a bowl game. Yeah. You know, like go, just uh, the nice weather part of the the bowl season here. Yeah, you know, I mean, just maybe try to add. See, that's the thing, though. If you if you had like a bowl tie-in with you know a couple northern teams, they wouldn't necessarily care about playing a game somewhere up no. north. You know, that's, so I, well, here's I hear I have a I have a plan, and I'd actually express this plan to a coworker. Big Ten Network that I it was while we were watching Northwestern beat Pitt in the uh, the pinstripe bowl. Okay, yep. Sitting there watching a game, and I said, you know, I think it'd be really cool if they did a bowl game at Wrigley. And it was pretty funny because about a week later, there was <laughs> an article in the Chicago Tribune about how the Cubs won a bowl game. Hmm. Not saying I thought of it first or anything funny that I had brought it up to a coworker blindly 
watching that. They're like, they play one at Yankee Stadium. That'd be really cool if they played one at Wrigley Field. Yeah. And uh, I think it'd be cool to be called the Ivy Bowl. Yeah. You know, the Bricks and Ivy Bowl sounds cool, but, you know, if you're going with how a lot of these famous bowl games just have one word, Fiesta, Rose, Orange, Sugar, Pinstripe, uh, you know, not throwing pinstripe into the category of those. You know what I mean? Right. Bowl game, it, it seems to catch on a little bit more if there's just a one, boom, this bowl, not this bowl, this bowl brought to you by this company, you know, call it, call it the Ivy Bowl. Yeah. The Island Ivy Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyway, it's just... Pipe dream. Pipe dream over here. Yeah. Mainly, uh, it means I could take an Uber... To a, uh, I could take a, a, a ten dollar Uber to a uh, bowl game. Yeah, but I mean, like if they, you know, if they did that and they got it, like the, you could do the Pac twelve and the Big Ten. I mean, I was even thinking the Mac, you know, take like the sixth or seventh Big Ten team and like the second best, you know, the second Mac team. That's probably a good yeah. matchup, you know. Yep. And that would be better than sending our second best Mac team down, you know, to to Mobile, Alabama to play the Sunbelt runner-up. You know, I mean, it's yeah. those games are good for the Mac because it's usually the Sunbelt's best team or two is good, and so it's good to play good competition. But at the same time, beating a Big Ten team is prestigious as well. So it would be good for the con- – you know, and unfortunately all these these contracts are, like, tied in for years, you know, but – I think it would just be better, and obviously they would draw a much bigger crowd, you know, because most Mac schools could, you know, it's an easy drive to Chicago, you know, as opposed to trying to get down to Mobile or Shreveport or Boise. Yep. Um, but that's all. We'll we'll do another podcast where we completely update and revive the bowl system. Uh, yeah. Which is clearly dying because they're trying to add more and more, so... Obviously, like, no one's making money. Sounds like. Um, all right, so we're at just under an hour, um, and I want to maybe before this this is gonna be this is just podcast number one of our off season uh, stuff. I've hopefully we'll we'll try to think of we're gonna try to think of some not necessarily theme pods, but like you know pods where we talk about either former players or teams or seasons or you know just have story time and you know maybe touch on any big stories that come up but before we go i want to i want to talk about one other bit of news that happened after the national title game or maybe it was in between the it was uh maybe between the semifinals and the and the title game but it concerned so minnesota had their own stretch of problems with domestic violence and they suspended some players. And there was a whole thing where the, uh, half the team was, you know, part of the team was boycotting the bowl game. And then all of a sudden they weren't. And it, the end result of all of that was their head coach, uh, was let go. And then out of nowhere, seemingly Roll the boat. they land probably the most sought after, second tier coach of this bowl of this head coach hiring season in PJ Fleck. And I got to say, I just don't get it. 
Look uh, at first of all, what what is that holding my shutters in my childhood bedroom up over there? Uh, it's an oar. You've got you've apparently he uh, dropped the row the boat oar off on his way to Minnesota. And uh, there's an oar in my room. It's not Western Michigan, but there's an oar holding my shutters up. That's pretty. Uh, that's very on theme for this for this uh, topic. Yeah, row the boat, man. Uh, so you don't get it. You I don't. don't like here's what I don't understand. They if, fell upward big time. Well, yeah. I mean, I get it. If you're Minnesota, you've got to be thanking your lucky stars. I just, you know, PJ Fleck went the entire, the entire coach hire season saying he wasn't going to leave. And to his credit, he said I was. He always said, "I'm not leaving until the season's over." You know, nothing's happening until the season's over. And so at first, everyone just kind of scoffed at that. It's like that's what every coach says the day before they take another job. And he stuck with it. He coached in the bowl game. Western Michigan put up a great effort against a good Wisconsin team. They came up just a little short. They just didn't have, they just didn't have the you know the dogs uh, to really go toe to toe with them for a whole game. So at that and at that point, most of the, you know every job was pretty much filled. And so I'm thinking, all right, Western Michigan just lucked into having a very good young coach for another season, a great recruiter. And obviously, very good at motivating his team. And then Tracy Clays gets fired from Minnesota, and all this, and that just all goes out the window. And PJ Fleck jumps over to over to Minnesota, and I just, I don't get it from his perspective. I really don't. He could have stayed at Western Michigan another year and had a good year. He didn't even have to go undefeated. He could have you know? been your Notre Dame. What? And then, then he could have been your next coach at Notre Dame. He could have. I just, he could have picked, if he had another like 10 or 11 win season at Western Michigan next year, which is completely possible in, you know, in the MAC and uh, with could have had his an recruiting eight classes. He the hottest coach out there because it, it wouldn't have been a PJ thing. It would have been, well, you can't go 10 wins every year in a MAC school, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, he would have made it for him. I mean, he's going to lose, you know, Corey Davis is the all time leading receiver in FBS history, you know, so anyone would have been able to say, you know, Hey, it's cool. They just lost, you know, this great receiver, but he could have picked his job next year, any job in the country, more or less, you know, that was any job that would come available next year would have had him on their short list. And I mean, I'm not trying to like disparage the Minnesota job, but I mean, this is a program that's in a little bit of turmoil right now. You know, there's a lot of friction between, the team and the boosters and the athletic director and the president, you know, it just literally had an instance, an incident where their players were threatening to boycott. And I mean, PJ Flex whole thing is about we're all family and all in this together. And you know, this, this concept and this message of unity, and he's just entering a situation where that is, I don't know how well it's going to fly, but it just, I think, I think part of it is that he's fearless. I think he is legitimately fearless. I think he looks at that. I think he looks at that challenge as something he can, he can fix. Like, I think, I think another thing is that he seemed to have improved the culture at Western Michigan as well in a short period of time. Um, Those players, players clearly bought in. Yes. A lot of those players were the, a lot of the same players who were 
not doing very well on the field. No, they were one in eleven the first, 11. when he first, first got there. So it was just um, so I I think I think the other thing is I think he wanted to stay in the Midwest. He's already gotten a bunch of you know his recruits, Western Michigan recruits, to flip to Minnesota. I was say he flipped like six guys in one day from Western yeah, Michigan I mean, to Minnesota, and they then they just got I think a four star receiver as well. Um, yeah. I think there are a lot of uh, the other thing is that you're in the Big Ten West, which you don't have. It, it's still an extremely competitive division. Uh, there's a lot of parity in that division. There's a lot of right. there's there's probably there's probably three to four teams that have like a legitimate shot at winning it every year. Um, you know, you move over to the Big Ten East, you're starting to look at some of the teams that people might consider a little untouchable, you're, you know, even though that I know they've lost games, but your Ohio States, your Michigans that are going to be up there as long as their coaches are there, Yep. you know, your blue bloods, whatever you want to call them over there. But, you know, I think the big 10 West might be a little bit more open every year. There's, there's better football than played in that division than they get credit for a lot of times, but there's, it, it's, it, there's parody on yeah. the West side, yeah. you know, and uh, I think that had something to do with it. You know, he's not going to have to play Urban every year. He's not going to have to play Harbaugh every year. Not going to have to play D'Antonio every year. And now you're looking at Penn State on the rise in the East. He, he'll have to play them every now and then. But he's not going to have to play those guys every single year. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at what has killed some coaches in the STC, it's guys in the West that have to play Nick Saban every single year. Yeah. Or Tennessee's head coach, who has to play Nick Saban every year. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, that that's kind of it. And, and when you have when you have an urban, and and I mean, you the Big Ten, uh, you know, no one I don't think still even after losing the title game matches Nick Saban. But the Big Ten has two coaches in that elite ballpark with Harbaugh and Urban in one division, and and Harbaugh hasn't even won the division yet. Yeah, <laughs> Urban's team didn't even go to the Big Ten championship game this year. Yep, uh, they went to the playoff, but you know what I mean. So, you know, he doesn't have to play in the East every year. Um, and like I said, it's not a knock on the West; it's just the West is a little more wide open every year. Yeah, uh, I think that might add something to do with it. He's familiar with the recruiting ground. He grew up in the Midwest. I, you know, I believe he really wanted to stay in the Midwest. You know, I know someone who's friends with the guy that said he wants to stay in the Midwest. Um, I think he also look at, look at it like this too. So he's a very unique guy. Yep. DJ Fletcher, no secret. Yeah. He wears that on his sleeve. I mean, if PJ Fleck went to a place with the tradition of like a Michigan, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that that was an option, but like, imagine yeah. him going to a place that is at a, a high level, um, maybe you're replacing a legend or Notre uh, Dame. Notre Dame. He comes in there with his oar. Yep. They probably break the oar over the wall. <laughs> they say, you're putting on this damn shirt. You're not adding a slogan to this damn shirt. You are going to sing our fight song, and that is that you're going to go worry about football. Yeah. You're right. And, I... and a play- Minnesota, they're going to let him run with whatever he wants to do because they could use a little bit of a refit right now. Yep. And 
I think it's a shot in the arm they needed. Um, and I think he wanted to go to a place that was going to let him be himself. And I think Minnesota is that place. Yeah. There are definitely places that I don't think would have necessarily been 100% on board with letting P.J. Fleck be P.J. Fleck. And I think Minnesota is on board with that. And I think that that meant something as well. Because yeah. he seems to have been very eye-to-eye with the athletic director. Yeah, and I will, I'll buy that. Um, I'll definitely buy that Minnesota would let him put his stamp on their program. Because I remember talking to my dad a couple months ago uh, when it seemed like maybe there's a chance Brian Kelly would get fired. And I said, you know, the guy that they should go get is someone like P.J. Fleck, but there's no way that the, the old guard boosters would ever let someone like that, dang, you know, they had tr- they, it seemed like it took a Vatican uh in or a Vatican uh, I can't think of the right word now but like a an act of god to get turf installed in the stadium or to get a scoreboard you know or uh, play music at your games to what play music at their games yeah yeah i mean it took it took you Deal. know years Rock. of fighting to get that um so, I mean, to bring in a guy like, and I mean, Brian Kelly's a pretty, you know, a fairly conservative dude. Uh, at least he's become that way more the longer he's been in the job. You know, you bring in someone who's beat, like P.J. Fleck, who's unapologetic unapologetic in who, who he is, uh, that would have ruffled a lot of feathers. And if he didn't win right away, you know, that's the kind of stuff that gets run out of town real quick there. But, you know, Minnesota, they're pretty much going to be like, you know, we need we need this savior. Uh so you're gonna get to do whatever you want. Um I will say I looked up next year Minnesota plays Michigan, uh, but not Ohio State. So a lot of times you're only gonna get one of them if if that. Yep. So that, yeah, they've got Michigan and Michigan State are their are their cross. Uh and Maryland. <laughs> He's basically he's going to a place that's going to let him be himself with a ton more resources, some money. Yeah, a nice brand new stadium. Here, here's know. the deal too. He's going to be making a lot more money. I mean, I think that was part of it too. They pretty much backed up the truck. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I'm saying like, you know, it's probably around what he would have made at, at just about any job he would have taken. Yes. You know, so I don't think that he lost out on millions by taking this job this year instead of next year. You know, he's yeah. probably making a lot more. Yeah, I mean, he is. He's going to be making considerably more money, which a lot of times, you know, coaches can say it's not the bottom line. A lot of times it, it might not be the very bottom line to them, but it means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It, I mean, it's just like any position. I mean, that's, that's always – why it's it's tough for me to criticize players for you know holding out for more money or taking a position with more money because it's like who in their life wouldn't try to get as much money you know from their job as they could right you know so i never i never regret guys for taking the more money it's just you know it blows uh, my mind that people like rip on kirk ferentz for accepting an extension yeah okay Taking job security and millions of dollars. What a, yeah. 
Yep. You know, and I guarantee that every single person who criticizes him, if their boss walked into their office tomorrow and offered them guaranteed a guaranteed raise for a certain amount of time, every single person would say yes. Wouldn't yep. even be a question. So yep. uh, no one's got any room to talk uh, in that respect. So, all right. I mean, that's, we'll see. Was it, there I, was that million dollar signing bonus I turned down the other day. Uh, oh, well, you know, exception that proves the rule, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see with PJ Fleck. It'll be interesting. I feel like I can root for him more now that he's not in the Mac anymore. I think Western Michigan's going to fall apart. Uh, I don't think he was, I don't think he was, I don't know how much of his system is transferable, you know, so so much of his system is him that, and I don't remember the guy that they hired. I can't, I can't remember now if he was already there, if they brought him in. Um, I, I believe he was coaching at Purdue. I think he was on Purdue staff. So, I mean, he's a former quarterback at, uh, Western, but yeah. Okay. Which, I mean, the only, I think part of the reason why Toledo has done such a good job of maintaining a, a, a very, very high level of, um, of play is because they've managed to keep the same culture through all three regimes. You know, Tim Beckman came in and started it and then he handed it off to Matt, to Matt Campbell, who really was in, was installing the system of, uh, of, uh, Larry Karras, from Mount Union. Um and that was continued by Jason Candle who also played for Larry Karras at Mount Union. Uh which is one of the greatest football programs in the history of college football. So that, you know, keeping that all in house and keeping that culture all intact has helped smooth that transition. And that's kind that's the only way to have sustained success in the Mac. You know, you can have one or two good years with a flash in the pan coach who's about to leave for brighter pastures. Um, but if you can't maintain some sort of culture, it's almost impossible to stay on top. And I mean, Western Michigan still has those recruiting classes that PJ Flick, you know, turned out. Um, so I'm not saying they're going to go, you know, two and 10 next year, but I just, I, so much of what he did was, was derived from him. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't necessarily culture. And they brought in a guy who wasn't even there for it. So I, I just don't, I think they're going to be like Central Michigan after uh, Brian Kelly and Dan Lefevre left. I mean, it's just back to the middle of the pack, um, which it's good for Toledo, but. I'm letting you run with this one, man. Not, You're a Yeah, it's, I mean, I'll. Wait to see if I'm proven wrong. Like, they just, I mean, Western Michigan's recruiting class was like one or two in the MAC for almost every year PJ Fleck was there. So the cupboard is not bare, but um, it's, I guess, prove me wrong. You know, new guy whose name I don't know. Uh, <laughs> prove me wrong, and we'll be waiting for you at the end of November next season. Yeah. Well,. We've entertained the masses tonight because I know if I know anything about podcasts, it's that people love Mac hot takes and hearing about Ben Bulwer beards. Yeah, that's true. That's, um, I think we actually got more people to tune in as the podcast went on. Uh, they were just waiting for that Mac, for that Mac, sweet Mac hot take. I wasn't even drinking a beer tonight. 
Oh, wow. Well, I guess we'll have to drink two for the next one so to make up for it. I'm probably never drinking alcohol again. <laughs> uh, Chicago's going to do do good for you, I think. My fingers were crossed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that is uh, my scorching hot yeah. Mac take. You can remind me that I said that next year when Western Michigan wins the Mac again. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I they might not win the Mac, but if they beat Toledo next year, I might be bringing it up. Oh, God help me if they do. Now, 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 PJ's in my division, which I did not want. Yeah. I love the guy. I'm entertained by him. Um, got to meet him this year. They couldn't have been more polite. And, uh, again, I have a friend who's close with him and can't speak more highly of the guy. Uh, as is, you know, someone who works with Big Ten Network, though, I'm happy to have the guy in the Big Ten because yeah. I think it's fun over there. I mean, I just remember, I mean, the last, I guess, you know, we can stop on this, but I remember when he was interviewed by SVP the one night, and it was like a five-minute interview, and I was ready to go strap on some pads and hit somebody listening yeah. to that guy talk. I mean, that, you know, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, by the success that he's had after talking to him, you know, listening to him talk. I mean, you've been in, you know, you've had way more exposure to him than I have. But I mean, that five minute interview, I was, yeah, I was sold on PJ Flex. So, um, the one thing I love that he says that like sticks with me, just that you know, that I try to take away into, you, know, you can't take everything a football coach yells out into office or everyday life, but you know, when he. He asked his players when they were, you know, why, you know, when are you guys going to be sick of being average? Why, why be average? Pretty great message. Like, yeah. Don't average. Yeah. You know, yep. because, because, you know, you could stink and no one wants to stink, but, but there's some people that are fine with being average and not moving the needle much. Yeah. Mail it in every day, collect the paycheck every two weeks. There you go. You can usually tell who those people are. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I like that message from him and, and I think it's going to be a fun ride over there. And, you know, um, the last really young head coach in the big 10, I can remember like this, uh, who's a fiery guy, not quite of the same caliber of, uh, I don't think anyone's PJ flex caliber of fieriness, but, uh, Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, a guy that came in the Big Ten, super young. I know he was a Big Ten alum, and it was a you know unfortunate circumstance that he took over for Andy Walker because Randy Walker passed away. But Pat Fitzgerald came in, had success as a young head coach in the Big Ten. <clears throat> Maybe a young head coach that people were you know this guy's you know he's very impressive. I don't know is he in over his head? No, he wasn't. You know, like he proved that he wasn't, and PJ Flex gonna have that opportunity now and. um We'll see. Without he's the, with, I think he's in over his own head because he's he's so all in. Yeah. He, that, he has not doubled down on it. I mean, or backed down on anything. Yep. He's all, he pushed all the chips across the table a long time ago. Yeah. And it, you know what? I mean, I more credit to him for not taking his foot off the gas. Yeah. Yeah. You I know, mean, that's the thing. It's like... do it. And that that's what he's doing. So, you know, good for him. Yep. All right, I think that's a pretty good place to stop. Uh, get past your bedtime out there, man. No, oh, I don't have a bedtime. Although my phone did alert me like 45 minutes ago that it was time to go to bed. So, uh, screw yeah. you, screw you, phone. 
Uh, uh, thanks as hey. always though for listening. Thank you for to Jordan for calling in. Uh, Not even tonight in the beautiful Central Time Zone. Uh, must be nice. It is. Uh, so very nice. Yep. So thank you everybody for listening. If those of you who managed to you know survive our scorching hot Mac takes, which you'll notice we did thoughtfully leave to the end so you didn't have to sit through them to get to the to the good stuff uh so we appreciate it as always uh you know if you ever want to reach out to us you know on twitter or email uh we're saturday everywhere else at gmail.com uh you can tweet at us email us you know we'd love it if we get some you know some questions or comments or anything that could help us fill the time so we don't have to blabber peppermint season's over now too oh it's it's so glorious when you get to skin season and peppermint season you're just like you know what what the i do now what kind of order now you know what that means because that means shandy season is on the way and that is the best time of year best time of the year so all right well for myself and jordan loperena uh thank you everybody and good night (laughs)